for me personally, this is what it's about. Enjoying wine, having a good conversation, and also talking about local and helping local brands. So that's what that's what it's about. So that's why I'm here. So All right. I digress. No, anyway. no, no. That's what it's about. That's what we want to talk about. Welcome to the very first episode of Vivo and Convo with uh, Fletch and Couch. I'm Howard Fletcher. I'm uh, my man socially distanced across from me. Mm. In, in in his beautiful studio is Aaron Couch. How you feeling? I'm doing. I'm feeling pretty good, man. I'm, I'm in fact I'm feeling wonderful this morning. Wonderful. I'm glad we just got started with this finally, so I can relax. I've been waiting to get this yeah. started. Yeah. So <laughs> as you can see now, now the the perspiration is starting to die down because now we're in the mix. It's like before the big game. I need right. to, I need to get in the mix, man. So thanks. Okay. Well, listen. The mission I want to tell everyone out there. The mission of our little show here. We want to discuss media, sports, and politics, right? That's correct. That's While correct. sharing a bottle of wine from the DMV, which means Maryland and Virginia. For those of you who aren't from the area, it's D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. There aren't a lot of wineries in D.C. There are none that I'm aware of. If there's some, I'll, I'd love to find out about them. We'll also probably work in a few craft brews here and there. You know, a lot of craft beer makers here. And I'd love to, for us to try some of them. A few distilled spirits, if possible. Well, I'm with that. I, look, 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 no argument for me. I'm with you that. know, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here in the DMV for us. So, oh, and you know, one of the missions we want to do, we want to shine a light on the winemakers and the distillers and the craft brewers here because you know, when people, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I read a lot of things about mm-hmm. the alcohol trade, yeah. and you never hear that much about this part of the country. And I think this part of the country, we have a lot happening. That needs to be recognized. So hopefully we can help do some of that. You really don't find out about the wineries until you really get here. Mm-hmm. That's how it was with me and my wife, with mm-hmm. the Virginia wines, then also being in the uh, hospitality industry as entertainer. Right. You start finding out about the different venues, and a lot of them are venues in this area. So, yeah, you're right. It's something that uh, when you get here, you find out it's a nice thing to uh, come across. You're like, okay. I got options to be social. Well, you know, I think the you know mid-Atlantic wine trade were kind of like Napa Valley in the seventies. You're, you're talking about the infancy, the, right. the, the the where we are right now. You think it's right. they got so far to go? Well, yeah. See, we've been making well. When I say we, Virginia, mm-hmm. that I'm aware of, been making wine since the colonial days. Thomas Jefferson famously, mm-hmm. you know, grew grapes and made wine on his. Plantation, yes. Thomas <laughs> Jefferson had a plantation. We know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And his family uh, picked the grapes. And they weren't getting paid. Anyway, um, so we've been making wine here a long time, but I don't think winemakers really knew what they were doing very, very much. Okay. You know, as, as, as like they do now. I remember I went to college down in Georgia in the early 80s. I remember coming back, seeing an article in the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. And they talked about the Virginia wine tour. And I didn't even know wine was being made in Virginia at that time. Okay. And I was I was intrigued. And you're and from D.C. I'm from D.C. Yeah. But I, I, and my family's from Virginia. Yeah. And I really didn't know anything about it. Okay. And uh, I asked some of my friends who were still in the area, have you gone on these wine excursions? Have you tried Virginia wine? And all of them, to a person, said, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it's wine's terrible. I'm not going to ask terrible. And, and if you talk to some of the winemakers now who are very candid about it, they would agree that really didn't, a lot of the wineries and winemakers didn't know what they were doing then. Right. Uh, they didn't know the terroir. They didn't know what grapes to, to, to plant, how to even cultivate them, mm-hmm. and even how to make wine as well as they do now. Now, all of that has changed. And... Uh, Virginia is much like the Bordeaux region of France as far as the temperature and the climate, the yeah. topography, the, yeah, yeah. all of it. All yeah, of the it proper is, latitude. Right. It's at the, la- the proper latitude. Right, so, yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, they, we're making good wine here, and I, we want to help highlight that. Okay, I said we want to talk about politics and media and all that. Well, we're, we kind of, uh, well, I did. You got you an know, idea, though. I, we're gonna, we're gonna, we kinda, we're kind of going to slide into it. Right. That's yeah, why yeah. we're picking the right. first topic. Right. It kind of helps right. everybody now, break it down. Now, we, uh, I, 
I wanted, I called Aaron up, see if he was interested. Luckily, he said yes. And we are cutting a big slice off for this first one because what I want to do, and we're going to do, is go episode by episode through HBO's The Wire. Yes. Now, this is a five-season, 60-episode undertaking. Yeah, yeah. But I think we have a lot to chew on, and I'd like to do that. Well, look, it, it's good wine chatter, too, man. Yeah. It's good wine chatter. I'm glad you picked it because it's part of this area. Right. It's, it's kind of giving you an understanding of, like, we're going to talk about politics. This show is kind of like a good leader mm -hmm. because uh, you start to look at the bureaucracy that's involved with what they're trying to get done in Baltimore. Anybody knows Baltimore, there's a lot of things that people wish could get done. This is a good way to start. I, just, yeah. I can't argue with you on it. And like you said, since you're supplying the wine and the dry beer, I'm like, let's do it, man. Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great segue into today's wine. Today's wine is Slate 5. Okay. It's made by, it's from Black Ankle Vineyards. It's owned and operated by Ed Boyce and Sarah O'Haran. I've, uh, I've interviewed Ed, come to meet both of them and know both of them as friends. I consider them friends. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the best vineyards in Maryland, in my opinion, you know, right? Like, you know, wine is something that, you know, like almost anything people consume, mm. people have, it's very subjective, yeah. you know, you know, big wine connoisseurs would say it was objective, but I, it's, I say it's very subjective. Uh -huh. You like what you like, right. and that's what it is. And I, I happen to love this place. You like what you like because you want the vibe that you like. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, so, right. yeah, yeah. This, this wine now. Uh, I'm black, loving it, by the way, I'm loving it. So he's not saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. So. Black Ankle is in Mount Airy, Maryland. It's in Frederick County. And we're going to get back to this later on. There's going to be a section where I'm going to devote to the wine. And I'll tell you a little bit about it, more than you probably want to know about it already. But that's what wine we're drinking here, if you're wondering what's in our glasses. So, and I chose this wine to start off with because it's a Maryland wine, and the wire takes place in Baltimore. So this episode, we're going to just set the table for you, talk a little bit about what the wire is about, a little bit about uh, David Simon and Ed Burns, who are some of the creators of The Wire, get you a feeling about what the times were. The Wire, you know, started out around 2002. Yep. So I want to get everything in context so that when we talk about these episodes, everyone has a feeling for what we're talking about. And hopefully, if you're, you know, become a regular listener or of the show, you'll go back, rewatch these, and experience this with us. That's my hope, at least. So before we get started, I want you I want you to know, I guess we should introduce ourselves so you know who it is are these two knuckleheads that are talking to you right now. So, uh, you know, Couch, what, what do you want us to know about you? Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Well, my name is Aaron Couch. Uh, I do music production, music composition as well. I do things associated with any type of media development. I'm also a big history buff in terms of music. I'm really big on politics. I'm not only big on politics, but I'm big on progression, especially local politics. One of my idols, one of the people that I look up to, is Gordon Parks. Gordon Parks was a photographer. He was, and he was sort of, sort of a renaissance man. He Filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. So, so the main thing that I'm always trying to do is try to maximize my resources and network with people who are all about trying to get to the next step. And it starts locally. So how reaching out to me about this, The Wire is local, and he and I both are all about supporting local brands. This is this is a perfect way to begin. So I am I am a media guy who is about progression. That's who I am. So okay, yeah. Well, listen, I'm Howard Fletcher. I was born in D.C. I'm pretty much raised in Silver Spring, Maryland. So I consider myself, even though I say I'm a child of D.C., I'm a Marylander, born and bred. So I can really relate to a lot of the Maryland things in this show. That's one of the reasons I picked it. Mm -hmm. I also think The Wire. And I'm not alone in this. I think The Wire is the greatest scripted television series ever produced for television in the history of television. And I will go back to that consistently as we go over these episodes. And hopefully maybe some of you will agree. He's going to push his point hard, people. <laughs> He's going to push his point hard. Hopefully so. I am. Now, <laughs> the, other, the other thing I want to stress is that, listen, there's a lot of media out there. This is not an original idea. It was this This particular iteration of it is an original idea i'd like to believe mm -hmm. but there are podcasts out there that re watch and analyze the wire there are shows and written uh media that analyzes the wire so this is not a, this is not a new concept in fact there's one that's done being done right now 
by Jamel Hill, who is a an ESPN analyst. You like Jamel. Yeah. Like Jamel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um and Van Lathan. And uh, they do they do a good podcast, you know. After you listen to ours, you can listen to theirs. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they and they're they are going But listen to ours first. first. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. <laughs> listen to ours Absolutely. First, so, yeah. But uh, you know, the thing that I like about The Wire is that, you know, and I wouldn't tell you to go listen to someone else's podcast if we were, like, analyzing something that was very shallow, that there was really nothing to analyze. But because I believe, and others, and I'll talk about that later too, The Wire is about as deep as Shakespeare, and I, that's not hyperbole. I will let you know, you know, you can't listen to too many analyses of Macbeth. You can't listen to too many people talk about what Hamlet is about. And Hamlet can be about a lot of things to a lot of people. And I think that The Wire is one of those Yo, shows. That's, that's, that's pretty dope. I didn't think of it that way. That's pretty dope. All right. All right. You've been working. You've been <laughs> now, working. Now, <laughs> um, and I, it, and I'm, gonna look, I'm looking down now because I want to read because I did do a little what I like to call half-ass internet research. Mm. I, I looked up The Wire and Shakespeare. That's what I Googled. Okay. The Wire and Shakespeare. Yeah. You Google that. I Googled that. And if you Google that, one of the things that will pop up is a professor called, uh, named, it, it was an article she wrote in 2012, in June of 2012. Her name is Paula Morantz Cohen. She's the dean of the Pannoni Honors College and a distinguished professor at Drexel University. And this is a quote of hers. In this, this spring, alongside my regular Shakespeare class, My team taught a course on HBO's The Wire, written by David Simon and Ed Burns. We are not the first university to do this. Harvard and Duke, among others, have also offered courses on the show. Don't mention Duke again on this show, man, but okay, continue. (laughs) Don't don't do that. All right, but... Hours filled... Tar Heels! All right, I digress. Okay, okay. Continue. Back back to the professor's uh, (laughs) class. Hours filled up immediately. Mm. Students may have thought that it would be an easy elective, but if so, they had a rude awakening. The material was not easy. The Wire has plot and linguistic elements as complicated as any Shakespeare play. And in connection to the society it represents, it it is equally as productive of thought and discussion. I'm not suggesting the show is on par with Shakespeare, but The Wire is Shakespearean in scope and ambition, end quote. But this is also a good time. And we'll mention this a couple of times. There are people who will listen to this podcast, hopefully, that like Maryland and Virginia wine, and I hope you keep coming to do that. The subject matter we're talking about takes place in inner city Baltimore. And along with that comes language, okay? Much like Shakespeare, if you read Shakespeare in the Old English, which is the way you should read it, there are some words and phrases that are profane in Shakespeare. But Very we, much. But we don't understand them because we don't speak that way today. So they'll read those in high school classrooms openly because people really don't understand what they're saying. But this is language that we hear all the time. <laughs> well, at least if you hang out in my crew, you hear all the time. You hear all the time. And some of them might be a little bit off-putting or disturbing to those people who don't run in circles where they like using that type of colorful language. So I just want to warn you because I don't want that to be something that chases you off. Yeah. That's all. Because I will, we will play, there will be some clips on, from the show, some audio from the show you're going to hear, and they're going to use the language that's used in their, that character would use normally. That's all. And so I, I'm, I'm giving that little trigger warning, that little caveat that if you listen to this podcast, you're going to hear some language. You may hear it from the host, but you're definitely going to hear it mm-hmm. from the characters. Well, you won't hear me say that one word these guys know what he's talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. However, you do need to understand that it is part of what Howard just said. It's part of the language, part of the culture. With a mouthful of piss, probably. <laughs> like a major don't know what that tastes like. It's a chain of command, baby. The shit always rolls downhill. Motherfucker, we talking about piss. Piss does too. Think about it. Shit rolls. Piss trickles. Downhill, though. You don't know that for sure. Have you ever actually seen Not piss? You have to change the subject on you two charmers. But why are there only two ECU numbers? Doping guns. Two guns. The man. part that got me in the language, and this comes later, it's not in the first episode, but it's how they were talking in codes on the phone. But uh-huh. that was dope. That was dope. <laughs> and, 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 and one other thing that I just found also interesting when going into it, it opens up with no backstory. Uh-huh. 
it just goes into and I guess you can also say that's the same thing if you look at the way Romeo and Juliet opens up as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's that's, a, that's another reason, and I'll and when we get into it, I'll make some other allusions. But that's a that's another part about it that's much like Shakespeare. Like if you read a Shakespeare play in print, usually they'll have the cast of characters and they'll explain who those characters are. But if you just go to the play. They're they're not going to do that. They're going to just play their part, and, you, and it's up to the audience to figure out who this person is and what their relationship is to the peop, other people on the stage. Now, some of it's historic. You know, Shakespeare wrote about English kings and the War of the Roses and all of that. And so, some you know, in in that period of time in England, a lot of people were familiar with that. It would be just like if we wrote a play right now about the Clintons. You know, they would under people would understand who you know, Chelsea is when she walked into the room. But still, you still have to figure that out by the relationships of the people in the play. And so that's kind of one of the things I like. Yeah. All right. The Wire was first, was shown on HBO. It's an HBO original. So what I thought would be important for us to do is set the table for the context of how this show got on television because this was a radical show to come on. In fact, during the time that the wire was on television, mm-hmm. it really didn't get great review. Great, it got great reviews. Didn't really get great uh, they ratings. Get a, they didn't get great ratings. So, so first of all, think about you said the time period, of things that were going on at the time, mm-hmm. and the other shows that people were interested in, and it was just overlooked. Well, it was it was it was seriously overlooked. Now I can't remember, but wasn't Sex in the City on HBO at that time? Oh, absolutely, well? absolutely. So I mean. You know, it's like, okay, what are you going to watch? You want to watch Mr. Big chilling? Or do you want to see some brothers struggling in the projects? I mean, I mean, so so in terms of the ratings, it's like you're looking for something to be happy. But it was severely overlooked. I hate that I overlooked it myself. I'm glad you got me watching it because you're right. The writing is very good. Yeah. The writing is very good because the storytelling is good because... It's not making things obvious. They're not trying to set it up so that you can finish within a certain amount of time of watching the show. They're, they're telling the story almost in real time. Uh-huh. What happens next? What What's involved? There's a lot of mentoring in the show. Well, there's a lot of mentoring, but there's a lot. One of the things that The Wire does very well is it looks at systems and how not just that systems are broken, but it goes into the why of why they're broken. Yeah, it does. It, yeah. You know, so, yeah. and it, that's why I think it's very important, and I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'll talk about this as you, you brought it up. David Simon worked for the Baltimore Sun, okay. and for two, one year, he was on the crime beat before he became an author and then started producing television shows. He, uh, he was on the crime beat for the Baltimore Sun. And one thing that I like about The Wire is that it comes from, it's much, very much from a journalistic perspective. Mm. I think everyone gets fair a fair viewing in the wire gets gets nobody is everyone's three-dimensional and i don't think from the perspective of the writers and the producers they necessarily put some uh paint somebody into a corner and say this is who this and and makes the decision up see i write myself a little bit and sometimes as a writer you want to write somebody as a clown you want to write somebody as a villain so you say, this person's a villain. And to reinforce the fact they're a villain, we're going to write a scene where they kick a dog. And then we're going to write a scene where they, like, smack their girlfriend. And then we're going to write a scene where they do all this offensive stuff to, to bring home the fact this is a terrible person. That doesn't happen in a wire. Now, somebody might do all those things in a wire, but they also might help an old lady across the street and work overtime on their job and give charitably. Because people are complex. People are not... One thing, so that's or what you another. mean by the three dimensional. It's not just right. showing. It's not just showing the drug dealer being mad all the time. Right. It's not showing the cop being being yelling all the time or stress. Right. It's showing them as individuals during during right. the period. Right. Yeah. And also, and not just not to justify behavior. And I hate using the examples I use, but I'll use them <laughs> since I brought them up. It when I say it shows the why. Let me go back to kicking the dog. Mm-hmm. If you want to show somebody's just a bad dude, you have them walk in the scene and kick the dog. What the wire does is show you what put him in that mood to come kick the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's and that was and that's that's what this show does differently than other shows mm-hmm. do seem to do. 
Now, there are five shows that HBO put out that I thought kind of set the table for them to have the wire on. HBO, because in my, in my view of the universe, I think HBO set really was on the forefront of what we call prestige television today. Also in the reality TV, they kind of took for what uh, MTV was doing and kind of took it with the documentary aspect right. and just really blew up on it. So, right. yeah. And I think that if it weren't for the people at HBO in the 90s, we might not be where we are today in television. But maybe I'm giving them too much credit. But anyway, the yeah, first. Well, this, is, this is not giving too much credit to <laughs> talk about sponsor. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's be, true. Yeah, let me quiet about that. So, yeah. But the first, the first show was the Larry Sanders show. It was the show that ran from 1992 to 1998 with Gary Shandling in it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring that show up is because, in my view, that was the first prestige cable television series. That it was something different. That people said, have you seen the Larry Sanders show? There's nothing like it on television. Now, there have been other things like that on broadcast TV, like like uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman and Soap and that type of stuff. But Larry Sanders was a different animal. Don't you want anything to drink? A Coke, a diet soda, fizzy water? No, thanks. How about a shot of Maker's Mark? Paula, I think you should know I was about to give you a swift kick in the antifay. But that's not going to happen, because I know about the lump in your bosom. Uh, are you serious? I can't believe she told you. <clears throat> Beverly was trying to protect you. Okay, well, you know, I'm not really comfortable discussing my bosom with you. Oh, sit down. I'm not done. I know what you've been going through, because about 20 years ago, I found a lump on one of my testicles. I'm sorry. Oh, I freaked out real bad. I was doing a Bob Hope special at the time, and uh, I was so screwed up I let it affect my work. I, I made Elka Summer cry in the middle of a dance rehearsal. I'm not proud of that. And Bob, I told him about the lump the day before we taped. The monologue died. Bob's timing went all to shit, and you know why? Because he was thinking about my left nut. Paul, I learned from my mistake because 20 years from now, you, you don't want to be watching a Larry Sanders rerun and, and have to say, oh, yeah, that's the show I fucked up because of my titty. Yeah. It was. It was. It was. It was, uh, it was a late night viewing for me. But you also brought up one of my favorites, and I found it on an old VH tape, tape that I recorded, and it was Pimps Up. Holds down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and you mentioned that to me. I was like, yeah, it kind of was because, <laughs> because first of all, it, even me, even brothers I know, it showed you a, 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 an aspect of what pimps do that you really don't see. Uh huh. And, and this, that whole culture was just profound. And that that we brought up that was my second my second show that was one of the America Undercover series, which was the documentary series that HBO came up with. Uh huh. That's and, right. yeah. and but that was probably their most. Famous and infamous episode. They said we need to run with this. Yeah, hose down. That one. That one is a classic. Mm. That's a and, and you walk in any black barbershop in the U.S. and mention that, and you're gonna be sitting down for a, for a while. Before. You're gonna be sitting down for a while. You're gonna be sitting down. Whoa. Preacher even talks about that. Preacher uses that in the conversation to get them to act right. But yeah, yeah, that yeah, was it. Was profound, man. It was, it was profound. That's, so that's the, the the third show. Which was also the documentary thing was Real Sex, which was from 1992 to 2009. It had a long run on HBO. Now, Real Sex isn't a show for everybody because exactly what they talk about, it talks about all the different picadillos and, and weird things that people do sexually. The way people react to you when you're in drag is amazing. That's what's really addictive about it. Men, women, children, everybody are like looking at you in this way that you've never, I've never been looked at before. And they're almost like worshiping you. They can't take their eyes off of you. And it's my guess, it's because they're seeing an entity in their full embodiment. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a demigod when I am in drag. I am a goddess when I'm in drag. So I think that's what's important about it. People are told not to do this, not to do that. It's all this social, you know, God, I mean, who cares? I mean, the man in a skirt is the same as the man in a pants. It's still a man, especially when it's not for sexual reasons. I see that some people have generic 
problems they want to be women. Some women want to be men, but the drag that I do is not about that. It's about expressing yourself. And if you want to get your vocabulary right so you know what you with, uh, your wild friends are talking about, watch real sex. <laughs> you, you know everything that they mention. So. But one of the things that it did, in my, in my opinion, is that it set the table showing that, look, people can handle this stuff on television. Because this wasn't, see, HBO wasn't a porn channel. There were porn channels. There was the Playboy channel. Mm -hmm. All that stuff was on before. This was straight up news about sex that was not talked about, certainly wasn't graphically shown on television. And I think HBO said, we're gonna be the place where we're gonna show you some things that- You wanna find out about. That you wanna find out about. Yeah, yeah. That you yeah, wanna find out yeah, about. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Now going back into the drama venue, uh, my fourth one is Oz. And Oz ran from 1997 to 2003. It was a hard show to watch. Never said the scene for the wire. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to mention when I brought up Oz, see, because first thing, one of the original cast members of Oz, which struck me, was Rita Moreno. Now, for those of you who are young, you probably don't know who Rita Moreno is. Rita Moreno was in the original uh, production of West Side Story. She was also, you know, a lot of young kids knew her because she was on the Electric Company. Electric Company. <laughs> She's like, yeah. oh. But Rita Moreno was the first. Four award-winning performers. She won an Emmy, an Oscar, a Golden Globe, and a Tony. Okay, Rita Moreno is nothing. She's a serious actress, and she was on this show, Oz. Oz was a penitentiary show. It took place in a men's penitentiary, and it had everything from full frontal male nudity to rape. Rape. <laughs> it was just, just say it, man. Just say it, rape. <laughs> just say it, man. <laughs> It was a crazy show. It was a crazy. It, it was one of those shows that you turn on and your mouth would be open the entire show. Like, I can't believe exactly. it's on television. However, I'm going to read a list of the actors that came through Oz. Okay. Woo. All right. Ernie Hudson. That was guy was in Ghostbusters. Harold. I I've never know how to pronounce his name. Harold Pianow. Pien you know what I'm talking about. Pielo. Pielo. Yeah. Pielo. It's the brother with the dreads yeah, who was on Lost. He was on all kinds of shows. He was in the movie The Best Man. He's in The Best Man. He was yeah. on Sons of Anarchy. He was in, he was he was in, he was in Romeo and Juliet. He played right. Mercutio. Right, right. Romeo and Juliet. J.K. Simmons, who is, what's the guy's name? Sillinger, mm -hmm. who is a white supremacist who, without an eye, this dude's an Academy Award winning actor now. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> Dean Winters. Dean Winters is the guy who plays mayhem on those commercials for Allstate. <laughs> That's, that's a trip. A, that's, that's, a, that's a trip that mayhem is in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Lauren Velez, she's from, she's an old person from uh, New York Undercover, for those of you who uh, know back in the day, remember that. Yeah. Chris, Christopher Maloney, that was the guy who was on uh, SVU, uh, Law & Order SVU, and he's been on a whole lot of other shows. B.D. Wong, who is a brother, who's a... a hold, up, hold up, man. They don't know who B.D. Wong is. Come on. Come on. <laughs> right. Come on, man. Right. I mean, one of the most versatile actors okay. in history. Right. Being yeah. wrong. All right. Edie Falco. Okay. She was on Oz before she went to The Sopranos. Um, I'm trying to see. John Seda. Talk about all the people that just, you know, also the people that just appeared on the show. Yeah, just appeared on. Patti Lapone. Now, Patti Lapone is, for those who don't know who that is, she is like Broadway royalty. Okay. She is a big name on Broadway, and she was on this show, Oz. <laughs> it was crazy. He it was, was the writing that got them on there. Right, it, right. it was, it was, look, it, it was the writing, it was the time in which everything was going on. Right. Oz, it, it was showing what the hell that was going on in the prisons. Right. Yeah. Right, so that was, a, and finally, I'm a, I don't string this out too long, finally, my last show, and I just mentioned it, is The Sopranos. The Sopranos came, uh, was from Edie. 1999 and to 2007. Yeah, Edie and that again. Right. Yep. Edie Falco. And what those two shows showed, Oz and Sopranos, was that you could make, if you had good writing and good production, you could bring on actors who weren't big name actors. You know, I, I heard this conversation, and it might you have been. You could bring on talented. 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 Yeah, 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 talented. It really attracted really talented actors to the show. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard a conversation, and it might have been on that other Wire podcast I mentioned with Jamel Hill. Maybe not, but they, they were talking about what if the Wire was made today? Would it be good, you know, all this kind of stuff? Because 
Really, it was groundbreaking back then. Now you can do a lot on television. They were saying, "Well, what do you think the wire would be like if they made?" I it think today? it would. I think I think it would have better ratings off from the beginning. It initially. Would, oh, absolutely. Especially with social media. It being, would, able to, being able to push the, just the different clips and everything that's involved in the wire. So you watch the wire. It's like, damn, that's social media right there. Right. Hold up. I see with the wire. Would it be successful today? Yeah, because first of all, it's got things that people always talk about and try to point out. See, that's the shit we got to go through. Uh -huh. Like when you look at. The first season, the first episode, found out about the pit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you, you find out about the pit. And think about this, how when you're watching it and you're seeing them sitting out there in that orange couch in the middle, if you're driving by, it looks like everything's disorganized. There's people just out just doing what they want to do. But it's, it's, it's not that way. It's actually a system in place. Uh -huh. Yo, why you act like that, yo? What for these junkie motherfuckers? So you're just gonna take his money all day and cheat him like a dog? How am I supposed to cheat him? I don't know. But you ain't got to punk him like that. Punk yourself. You goddamn drug at And you a goddamn drug dealer. So? So what? Oh, what? The customer's always right? <laughs> Yo, we in the projects. The customer be fucked up. Can't get these niggas shits, man. Why not? Why can't you? Shit, anything else in the world gets sold without people taking advantage, scamming, lying, doing each other dirty. Why I gotta be that way with this? Because they dope things. Yeah, but the game ain't gotta be played like that, yo. You can't tell me this shit can't get done without people beating on each other, killing each other, doing each other like dogs. And without all that, you ain't got 5-0 down here on our backs every five minutes, throwing us around and shit. Shit, man. You think 5-0 would care about niggas getting high in the projects? Man, 5-0 be down here about the bodies, yo. That's what they be down here about, the bodies. Squires, young squires. They have a system in place where, first of all, they're able to see when the cops are coming. They have things in certain areas where you pick up the drugs and when you drop the drugs off. Mm. But it is organized. Mm -hmm. It may not seem that way. However, when you start to watch or listen to them, everything is a system there. If you talk about that and you're talking about something locally and you're presenting to people the local, yeah, I know exactly how that is over there. Right. Yeah, I know exactly what's going on. It's kind of like when um, Petey Green came on t on the scene uh -huh. in D.C. Uh -huh. You know, it's like Petey Green was just talking about what was local and what people recognized. Right. That's what the wire is doing. Right. So I think it would. I think the ratings would be off the charts from the beginning. The ratings would be off the charts. I I just think the biggest difference, which I think is a crucial difference which I don't think it could be the same show today, is you would, if it came on now, it would be The Wire starring, might be starring Idris Elba, but Idris Elba's a big star now. Yeah. It would be The Wire with Michael B. Jordan, but Michael B. Jordan's a big star now. It would be, it would, there would be stars in there. The thing that I like about The Wire, which was, is that there are people, I had never seen any of those people before. Yeah, yeah. The only person I'd seen before was Herc. The guy, the 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 police, the policeman with the bald head. Right, right. Well, there was and, two that I had seen before. Yeah. D'Angelo, yeah, I had seen before. Right. In in previous in previous shows and movies, and then like I didn't even realize Idris was in it from the beginning. Right. Until I was like, damn, he's he's in it from the beginning. Right. But then you got Wood Harris. Right. I knew him. Right. Because because remember the Titans, right. but yeah. but still though the majority of these people you you don't know. Right. Prime example, McNulty. Right, right. McNulty and and probably Michael K. Williams, who plays Omar, who who first of all, <laughs> that cat look, the whole character of Omar is just off the charts. Yeah, that's true. We'll get we'll, we'll, we gotta get to we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, I'm talking about that actor. See, Michael K. Williams, for those of you who don't know, Michael K. Williams, because of an accident that happened earlier in his life. Has a big scar across his, his face. So you got to do it the right way. It's going and, this way. We got to get it this way. That's a real scar. Okay. Yeah. Now, that just added to, I'm sure when he walked in to read for the part, they said, no need, brother. You got the part. <laughs> yes, they probably heard a couple of things that was like this. He's out there. You're yeah. the scar. Take, no, no, don't, don't yeah. have the scar removed. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like his trademark yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. used it in Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is yeah. like. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was good. And I think that would be something that would be lost. Because they made The Wire today. I think that they would have more known actors on it. And because of that, I think that it would lose a little bit of its grittiness. That's all. It would, it would lose something. Because. 
there, there are many actors. Frankie Frankie Faison I'd seen before in The Brother Played yeah, Morella. Yeah. There are a few, there are actors. remember him coming to America. Right. right. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you this, though. Okay, you were thinking that it would be more actors that would be on it today. Okay, I'm kind of going, let's go back to 2002. What actors were big back then that they could approach? I think that the, I think that the writers, it goes back to David Simon, Edward Burns, right. right? Let's go back to them, their whole thinking. They want to bring out the, the purity of their work. Right. I don't think they would have, I don't think they would even look for big time actors. And I think they, they would still go the route of trying to find people who are, who are unknown and talented. They, they might. They that's might, what I think. They might, but see, here's the thing about Hollywood that's a little different now than, I mean, it's always been a money thing. It always has been a money thing. But I think now, for HBO, if they're going to make an investment to do, do a show, they want to make sure people are going to watch it. And, they, and the only way you're really going to attract people to watch it... See, that's what I'm saying. HBO was a different proving ground. Like, if they made The Sopranos today. I'm not taking into consideration that, but I see what you're saying. They want, they're, going to, they're going to want a couple of people... Now, watch when they promote a new series for any of these, like Showtime or any of these places. They are going to put a name on the screen. They're going to say, this person's going to be on this show. Yeah, yeah. Very seldom do you see new shows that come on. Make, Netflix might do it, mm -hmm. but HBO and all these other people will usually have one or two people that they promote to say, so-and-so is going to be on this show. Mm -hmm. they, they, and the wires didn't have that at the time. Yeah, you were yeah, asking yeah, about that. That's a very good point, because it's like you're thinking about artists when, when uh, Don Cheadle. Right. You know, it came out. You knew who Don Cheadle was. Right. You didn't know who the other people were. Right, yeah. So, right. Yeah, and Don right. Cheadle would be another person who'd probably be on the wire now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know. Exactly. They, they probably would get they probably would have gotten him. So um That's a good point. And, and, uh, you have to take that and, consideration. And that, so. You're looking at how they market now and how right. they go about production. Right. Yeah, I totally agree on that aspect. Right. So yeah, okay. Right. Well, listen, I was going to go through all this. I don't think we need to go through all this. I was going to try to set the time to say, but you all know what was going on then. I think I don't need to go through the sports teams and all that. Time. I wanted to kind of set the mood, but that kind of takes away from kind of the, the, the viewing pleasure because when you watch The Wire, you get thrust back into a time when cell phones were something that were a luxury. <laughs> Beaver, no, hold on, no, not, not just a luxury, but big. Yeah, big. <laughs> beepers were common, and payphones were used. I mean, all that stuff was all that. That's we, that's the times that they were in back there. So right now, payphones. Yes, yeah. that's big. That's that's very big. That's very big right there. Like, what's a payphone? That's you know? <laughs> what's a payphone? Exactly. So right now. I'm gonna take a break and when we come back, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about this wine we've been enjoying, a little bit more than you probably wanna know. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about Ed Burns and uh, David Simon and some of the creators of the water. Cool. All right. I'm with that. All right, well, listen, we're back, and the wine that we're drinking today is, as I said, is from one of the one of my favorite wineries, if not the, in Maryland, Black Angle. I'm loving it. Good. I'm loving good. it. Good. Good. Yeah. It's uh, and I'm and Ed and Sarah are gonna love this podcast. Hopefully, they'll love the wire, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they'll like that we we featured this wine. Now, this wine, Slate Five, is unique. What they do, Black Ankle does a lot of blends. In fact, they specialize in blends. They do some single varietals. A single varietal, for those people who aren't wine people, that's when they use one particular grape in a bottle, like a bottle of uh, Merlot or a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon or something. Now, usually, technically, it's not 100% Cabernet Sauvignon, which is a type of grape. Usually, it'll be like 90% that and then 10% maybe It doesn't mean you're about to upset some people. We know, even though we're telling them the truth right now, yeah. you don't, don't want to open up that can of worms right now. We're trying to get people to listen to the show. Well, no, 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 no. I understand that, but I want, I'm, telling, I'm, telling them this, I'm telling them this so they will understand our wine because I also want to have the wine concept. Yeah, okay. gotcha. All right. Gotcha. So, the reason it's called Slate 5 is because it has five Bordeaux grapes in it. And this particular one that we have, Slate 5, is 39% Cobb Franc. 35% Merlot, 21% Petit Verdot, 3% Cabernet Sauvignon, and 2% Malbec. Now, there is, it's not, you won't see a vintage on these blends 
from Black Ankle, this particular blend. Why? Because there are different aged grapes in this bottle, okay? 13% of the grapes in this bottle were aged for 30 months in oak barrels. The balance of that, which is 87%, were aged for 18 months in oak barrels. And Ed makes these wines to taste, and that's what I like about that. So he's not so much into... Are you saying Ed's a genius? No, I'm not saying, well, he might be. Yeah. I, because, I first of all, let me tell you, I'm loving, first of all, with a lot of different blends. Mm -hmm. I'm always looking for something that I can feel that's going to be consistent from the first taste to the last. Mm -hmm. This right here is just, this right here is for chatting. This is, this is a, good a good, com it's a good com wine to use for good conversation. It's so good. I'm glad you like it. This, this, this is a good wine, folks. So you should go to Black Ankle. Now, I'm one of these people, I drink what I like. I don't have, uh, my palate is sophisticated to the point of, I just know what I like. But I'm not one of these people that drinks and says, oh, I taste a whiff of that, I get a this and that. And, but I, and I'm not downing that. I kind of actually admire people who have palates that are that sophisticated and that sensitive. I just have not happen to be one of those people. But I have tasting notes. And so I'm gonna let you all know what the tasting notes are according to Black Ankle, okay? They say this is a lovely perfumed, has a lovely perfume aroma of floral, sweet wood, red and jammy dark fruits, all with a dusting of chocolate. Now, let me tell you about tasting notes too. It's one of those things like, after I read the tasting notes. <laughs> you go back, you're like, I, I go, yeah. Yeah, but you I, just mentioned the chocolate, yeah. and I'm like. Yeah, that was the aroma. Now, you were talking about the palate. The palate carries through with cherry, currant, plum, raspberry, and black fruits boysenberry, blueberry, and blackberry that integrate seamlessly with the vanilla, pepper spice, and crushed rock gravel notes to the finish. I don't know if I'm getting all of that, but in terms of the, the aroma and how it feels about the chocolate aspect of mm -hmm. it, I can kind of see where they're coming with that, right. okay? Right. right. So that the way that they describe it, I'm right. like, okay, the chocolate I can see, I love the aroma, but like I said, it's not something that's biting me. Right. It's something that I can actually sit down and just sit, yeah. drink. And you're a cigar smoker. See, this I, I didn't even get to that part yet. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, this is sitting on the back deck. This is a good wine. I like, I, it makes the conversation smooth. Picking the wire to fellowship and with a wine like this, it kind of makes you start talking about Baltimore in a way that you both care about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. I'm with this, Howard. I'm yeah. with this, yeah. yeah. I gotta meet Ed. I gotta meet Ed. I gotta meet him, man. And thank you for yeah. this because this is a. Uh, well, hopefully we can get him on the show, and we'll get into this later on, mm -hmm. and at the end of other shows. You know, the 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 way I kind of envision this is that we would have a third or maybe even a fourth person in in involved in these conversations mm -hmm. later on down the line. For me personally, this is what it's about: enjoying wine, having a good conversation, and also talking about local and helping local brands. So that's what that's what it's about. So that's why I'm here. So All right. I digress. No, anyway. no, no. That's what it's about. That's what we want to talk about. Yeah. A lot of this I got off of Wikipedia, I confess. Okay? But a lot of it I didn't. So this is I called a lot of this from Wikipedia though. But see, The Wire is an American crime drama television series created primarily and written by author and former police reporter David Simon. The Wire premiered on June 2nd, 2002, and 9-11 happened seven months earlier. So that's something you need to really, when you're watching this first season, that you have to be in that mindset. 9-11 just happened, and as a matter of fact, and this isn't a spoiler for those people who might be watching, but... You know, there is a scene where McNulty, who is one of the detectives on the show, goes and visits his friend from the FBI, yeah, who yeah. says, who says, we got to pull everybody out of the drug detail because we're doing terrorism now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that, and that was a big thing. Yeah, that's a big, you know, I just realized that he, he did talk about that. Yeah, yeah So yeah. That, that does make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, The series ended on March 9th, 2008. Now, the idea for the show started out as a police drama loosely based on the experiences that he and his writing partner, Ed Burns, had. Ed Burns is a former homicide detective and a public school teacher, okay? Something that I left out in the beginning, I'll bring up now. Public school teacher 
homicide detective. Yeah, that's a that's a heck of that's, a background. That's a heck of a background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, if anyone can listen, listen. This is one of the reasons. If anyone can tell this story of Baltimore and the drug trade, it would be a crime reporter, a police officer, and a school teacher. Yeah, go back to what you said. The, their backgrounds. Yeah. Just the backgrounds, and you talk yeah. about the writing. Yeah. And why why they why so many people like the the show? Right. It's seen in the very well. Well, the first season has thirteen episodes. So the first one we both basically that was basically the pilot mm -hmm. to kind of show everybody what's going on. But the the courtroom episode, mm -hmm. D'Angelo mm -hmm. sitting there. Were you thinking like I was thinking? Why these witnesses up there? Where it seemed like anybody who was just walking in who was against them testifying could just witness everything. It didn't seem safe. It, 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 well, it, 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 and, 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 then I, and with knowing who the writers are and their history, that one simple scene right there just said a lot. And people can actually relate to that. Right. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to that. Okay. Next okay. All right. We're going to yeah, get to yeah. that. But no, that, that is a great observation, though. That's a great observation. And, and I thought that we had mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll mention it just to bring it home. One of the good things about this duo right here is that I'm a Wire veteran. I watched it when it came out, and I've rewatched it a couple of times. Aaron has never watched The Wire. He's just starting to watch The Wire. So we, you get, you're going to get a point of view from somebody who's pretty first in it and somebody's first impressions, which I think is valuable in anything you get. Yeah. So. Now, Ms. Lyles, I know this may be difficult for you, but can you tell us what you saw? Um, a man, you know, he was waiting for the elevator, and when another man just starts beating on him, and like the one man, he got knocked down, and the so victim got knocked down. No, the man with the gun. The man who was knocked down had a gun. And do you see that man in the courtroom today? Nope. Um, and let me go back to something that I skipped earlier, which was an, uh, a big misstep. Before the wire, now how did Ed Burns? This wine is good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> how did Ed Burns and did David Simon even get in the position to make this show? Well, let me tell you, because this is a big part of the story that was left out. They wrote a book together. They hooked up. They wrote a book together called. The Corner, A Year in the Life of Inner City Neighborhood. It came out in 1997. Now, it, what it did is it highlighted a, a family and some other people who are addicts, heroin addicts in Baltimore, and it told their story. It was a bestseller, got a lot of critical acclaim, and they took this to HBO, or maybe HBO approached them. I don't know what happened, but The Corner was a mini- I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out. The Corner is a miniseries that came out in 2000. Now, for someone like myself, who was a big time... I remember the corner. Wire person. I didn't watch the corner. I couldn't watch the Hold corner. Hold on, you didn't watch the corner? I watched part of it. I couldn't watch the corner. The corner was too hard and depressing for me at that time. I was like, I can't watch this. There is an actress, and I need to know her name, who was in the corner. She's been in a couple of Tyler Perry movies and all that kind of stuff. And I swear to you, I thought for the longest time... She is a for real. <laughs> you thought she was hey, really. She, you thought uh, real hair she, she, like she was, played a hell. But think about this: Holly Berry in in, in oh, Jungle uh, Fever. Yeah, yeah. She played. Yeah, sure. She played a. You was like, ooh, ooh, let me look the uh, corner. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna look this. But she, but she was, she was rough. She was rough. But anyway, it, it was. It got a lot of critical critical acclaim. Oh in fact, yeah, you're talking about. Uh, you're talking about. Candy Alexander. Absolutely. That's who you're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry. Listen, can't, I'm sure she's a lovely woman. I'm sure she's a lovely person. But, but that I'm, was she, that was she was that was real. She played. It, it's almost like okay. I hate to go Tropic Thunder on you. It's almost like when a man's talking about he played straight retard. <laughs> Don't go full yeah, retard. Don't go full retard. <laughs> Never go full retard. She went full crackhead. Crackhead. Yeah. Everyone had. And after that, I could see her playing any part. And I couldn't get that out of my mind. Yeah, that's who she was. Remember she was in something about Mary? She yeah. was one of her girlfriend. Yeah. But you're right, though. But she played that role so well. <laughs> she, she played it too well. She, she played, yeah, you're right. She played too well. <laughs> played too yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, The Corner won an Emmy Award as mm -hmm. the best, as the outstanding miniseries for 2000. And it was on the coattails of that win and that acclaim that they were given the green light 
to make the wire. Had that not happened, this probably would have never happened. So I want I needed to bring that up. That that's what yeah, you didn't bring up what we was talking about. I forgot yeah. all about the yeah, corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. That this this probably this probably would never happen. I can't see people. As a matter of fact, and I and and we'll get into this uh, a little bit later. But we can get into it now. How did you first start watching the wire? I have watched the corner. Uh-huh. You're right. It was depressing as hell. Right. So I guess when the wire came out, I was like, I don't want to see any more of that depressing yeah. as crap. However, what you stated to me when we were talking about the right. show is that The Wire is not just the drug aspect. Uh-huh. Like you mentioned before, uh-huh. they they develop the characters. They're three-dimensional. You're not uh-huh. just seeing them as the one particular uh-huh. police captain that's always making it hard for them to get something done. They show the different sides. So when I just watching the first scene and it opens up, it got my attention. First of all, you see the blood and you see these wide ass Baltimore sidewalks. So you know it's Baltimore. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Snot Boogie, uh-huh. the story of Snot Boogie uh-huh. just captivates you at the beginning. Uh-huh. You know, it's like you play crafts with him every night, every every Friday. Uh-huh. He does the same thing. And he said that line that you and I both right, said, right. why do you, why you let him play? It's America, man. Yeah, yeah. You got to let him play. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, that's just a Friday night. Right. That, that's just a Friday night. So how, how did I get started? Because I find it interesting and I like things that are profound and also things that you can relate to in everyday life and be able to start a conversation with, with people. Okay. And, and you see that with the wife in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Well, the re- reason I brought, th- I-, I bring this up is because in another life, <laughs> that no I won't life. get into now, <laughs> I, I, um, I came very close, I was very close to people who lived this type of lifestyle, not in Baltimore, in Washington, D.C., and also in Denver, Colorado. In terms of the drugs and... Oh, oh I, know, I know all these folks. Gotcha. And, and so at the, I came, moved back from Denver to Washington, D.C., Silver Spring, in 1999, January of 1999, okay? A few years later, The Wire comes out, and people, and I'm, I've seen the commercials because they ran the commercials during The Sopranos, and I used to watch The Sopranos. And people were like, oh, you're going to watch The Wire? And I was like, no, I'm not going to watch The Wire because <laughs> I don't want to see a show about, you know, guys selling drugs on the street and getting busted by you the cops. You didn't want to see something that, was, that you feel was going to be stereotyping. Well, I, didn't, I thought first thing... I, yeah, I did think it was going to be stereotypical. Mm-hmm. I did. Secondly, I just, I have seen that in 3D. I've seen it up close and personal. <laughs> I don't need to turn on the television and, see, I'll watch Star Wars because I've never been on a spaceship. Mm-hmm. I've been in a drug bust. Mm-hmm. Not busted personally, but I've been in that scenario. I don't need to see TV. And I know, and usually because of my experiences, usually when I watch stuff like that, I say, mm-hmm. It wouldn't happen like that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, you do say, yeah, you like, You know, you know, like, yeah. that, and I have very few of those moments watching The Wire. So anyway, I had to be convinced. That's my point. I had to be convinced. We'll convince you. To watch The Wire. My cousin, uh-huh. who is my late cousin Mark, who's no longer uh-huh. with us, and a friend of mine who is a commercial realtor, uh, uh, a middle-aged, white woman commercial realtor who lives in Orange County, California, who could be, who is just, she's the antithesis of, of, the, my, of the people uh, in the wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, Howard, you have to watch the show. She, and she's like one of my television soulmates, okay? She's where, one of those people you go to, like, before where, you check something yeah, out, she's yeah, your, she's yeah, your, yeah. your or case. She's one of your, everyone has one of those people in life, when they say, when they give their endorsement to something, it's gold. Okay, yeah, yeah. so she said, and I would give, I was giving her all the but, uh, uh. She's like, no, you have to watch this show. And she's like, I want you to watch the show because she knows me. She's like, because I want you to tell me if it's as authentic as I think it is. Okay, so what was the first episode that you watched? <laughs> the first episode that I watched was probably episode three, mm. I think, and then I went back and watched the other ones. Mm. The 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 yeah, I went back and watched the other ones, but it was. It, it, I didn't come to it, you know, naturally. I had to be convinced. And that's why I bring that up now because, like I said, if Ed Burns and David Simon had not won the Emmy for The Corner, I don't think they could have pitched this to the suits at HBO and they would have gotten greenlit. 
That's you know, all I'm saying. However, you also said, though, it was, and you can look at it from the production from the right. first season, that, you know, okay, they get, get they were greenlit for it, right. but they, there was a lot of strings attached it was, to it. Well, there was a lot of strings mm-hmm. attached to it. A lot of strings attached to it, but understand, they were going from a best-selling book to the corner. Mm-hmm. That got them there. And then they won an Emmy. Emmy. They got greenlit there. But if they just walked in off the street with this thing and said, mm-hmm. we want to make this show about... What they what the wire is about? I don't know if they would have jumped on that one. I don't know if they would have. They might have. I don't want to short give. I, I just gave HBO a lot of praise earlier in this episode, but I just. But don't you still got. You know what? You're still giving praise right now, and it's justifiable because what they did, they they listened and they said, okay, they listened to good ideas and they said, okay, this is how we can make it work. They yeah. they they kept giving leverage and they kept giving okay. We can give into that. We can give it because it kept showing that it was workable. Right. The Emmy shows work, but then not only that, with people praising it for people who watched the show the first season, who praised it. That's kind of like what I would say. The first season to the second season was probably a big jump in viewers mm-hmm. because they, when you heard people talking about, it, people were like really, mm-hmm. it's good. Mm-hmm. You didn't really hear that, and you heard it from both sides, from all races. Right. People. People not only looking like you, looking like mm-hmm. me, but other people like, yeah, that you know, is you're not expecting certain things to right. happen, right? And 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 when you when you watch it and you go from scene to scene, it's not predictable. No, it's not. It's not. It's, for me, it wasn't predictable. No, it's not. So, it's so. Not. just a quick overview, and I, I talked to Aaron about this earlier. Uh, there are five seasons to The Wire, and in each one, they focus on a different subject, different aspect of Baltimore. The five subjects or aspects <laughs> in chronological order are uh, the illegal drug trade. That's what season one is about. That's what we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. Season two is the seaport system uh, of Baltimore. Because Baltimore, Baltimore is a port city. Okay. Number three is city government and bureaucracy. It has to do with uh, city hall and all of those politics up there. Number four is the education in the school system, which is a deep, deep that's one of the deepest uh, seasons. Some people think season four is one of the best seasons of The Wire. And five is the print news media, which is uh, which David Simon had a lot to do with. You gave me goosebumps on that about the uh, the school system because in the first episode, or well, the first season, I think it's uh, maybe the third, fourth episode, where they're waking, where you see Michael B. Jordan as a young kid, which I'm like, <laughs> it's still a trip looking at him yeah, back then. Yeah. You're like... Yeah. Wow, he he was so young. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. But 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 that one scene with him waking up all the other kids yeah. who were in the neighborhood and they trying to keep them from foster care, trying to keep them together with their right. friends. That was kind of deep. Yeah. That 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 was deep because that goes back to what you said earlier, Howard, mm-hmm. about showing the characters being three dimensional. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Think about the the how how Michael his character. How they sit there and they listen to D'Angelo. Uh-huh. It's like the mentoring. They ask questions, but you still, they say things and respond the way in which they're kids. Uh-huh. But yet, I don't want to jump the gun, but the one thing that he said when that kid got killed uh-huh. and he was talking to D'Angelo, he, he was being, he was a bearded child. He was being real. He said, yeah. it fucks with me. Right. He said, I'm sorry. Seeing what happened, yeah. It fucks with me. Yeah. And people don't look at that humanity part. You, everybody thinks they're all straight hardcore killers. Right. That's not the case. Right. And, yeah. the, and the wire shows that. Yeah, and the wire shows that. Kid, and, and, that was deep. Hold on. I got to pull myself in. Because when he said, because look, I rewound that like five times when he said, he was just trying to tell, he said, it was like, yo, it fucks with me. Yeah, right. And I'm like, I'm like, that's real because damn. It's open. The the show opened up with that kid dead on top of a car, but they showed also the extension cord leading from another building Mm -hmm. into that building, so they could have power there for those Mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. And yet they were taking care of them. But yet, right outside, a kid got killed from his actions the previous night. You get a little. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just. But it's. But but you can see. 
the types of emotions that the, that the show evokes. And yeah, that's yeah, what it's that, about. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just okay. getting a little ahead of myself because <laughs> it, he got me watching the show. And as we're sitting here talking about it, and this wine is kicking in, it's making me think about the, the, the parts that were very profound. And that was a very profound part because it goes back to what you said. The characters are three-dimensional. I'm going to mention a couple of other things. I think one of the things also that kind of works against the wire, although I wouldn't change the name today, is that it it makes you think that the show is all about surveillance of drug dealers. And actually, that's a very small part of the show. But why was it in there? I'm going to read this about this. You know, hold on real quick before you read that. You know what I thought the title came from, the wire before, before mm-hmm. I saw it? I thought it was just talking about the wire in terms of just the snitching and everything that's involved in terms of the drug scene and all that. I thought it was just a nickname that oh. they gave. I didn't realize that oh. it was about the surveillance aspect. So oh, okay. I learned that from watching the show. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. So right. I thought it was just a nickname that they gave to how hard it was. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's me. That's my naivety. <laughs> well, no, that's just your And probably somebody else, like I said, as we keep growing, we're going to have some other points of view too. Yeah. And that's why it's like Shakespeare, like I said. But anyway, going back to this. Ed Burns, ex-cop. Burns, when working on a protracted investigations of violent drug dealers using surveillance technology, had often been frustrated by the bureaucracy of the Baltimore Police Department. Dave Simon also saw similarities with his own ordeals as a police reporter at the Baltimore Sun. So Ed Burns did have some experience with surveillance and with the wire, and they, they decided to come at it for that. Um, well, going back to what you just said, with him having issues about that, he shows a lot of the issues that he had with the, the bureaucracy of it uh-huh. in the show. Just to give an example, you got you got two different departments that that are looking at trying to make sure they get their cases done. So they're meeting basically what is expected for a certain type of case and what's going on based on the numbers. And then you had McNulty and his crew trying to develop a long-term case to get all those guys out. You're looking at the people that are trying to get for the murders, but you're getting those murders first, mm-hmm. it takes away from them actually getting the guy who's calling right. and saying, make those murders happen. Right. So it's like you're fighting both sides have valid points. However, we got to come to an agreement on what the overall strategy, if we're going to actually get this done, let's look at how we can actually get it done. Right. So him showing that bureaucracy and that shows something that I think people need to be aware of. Right. Well, you, it, the, the show will show you. Yeah, we'll show yeah, you all yeah. that. The, the bureaucracy is, is, is BS, man. So, is there anything else you think we need to go over about the, uh, to, to set the table for our, well, our series? Well, one thing, you, you're talking about Ed Burns and David Simon. That's very good as well. But also, I, I want to add to it that you probably made the biggest point of all about how the characters are three-dimensional. It kind of goes along with why the writing is so good and why we're watching this. Because if you're only going to look at a person in one aspect, especially when you're talking about drug dealers, or you're talking about a kid who is growing up in the projects, if you're not going to talk about the aspect that he has problems going to school because of other idiots in the area, or he doesn't have the resources to get to school, or he's not eating and all that. If we're not going to address everything that's involved there, how can we actually really begin to solve these problems? Right. And I think with Ed and I think with David, with them writing this, if you actually watch it, and I think that's why those schools such as Harvard and that that school that has those weak basketball players yeah, had yeah, had those shows is because have had those uh, studies is because it's like Shakespeare. Yeah, there is acting involved, but it's look at the time in which it happened. Uh-huh. It's trying to give you an understanding of what's happening in real life right now. Uh-huh. So these are things that if, if we actually address them and actually acknowledge them, then maybe we can handle it in real life. So that's our introduction to The Wire and what we're going to try to do in this podcast. This is the most important part, though, of this show mm-hmm. and every show. This is a call to action. We need you guys to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us. If you're if you're on Apple Podcasts or if you're on Spotify or wherever, please subscribe. We would like you to also rate us. You know, we want feedback now. Email us. Email, <laughs> email us. us. Yeah. Email us at now. It's either at couch like the couch like a sofa like a sofa like a sofa at vino 
and A-N-D, no ampersand, A-N-D, convo.com or Fletch, F-L-E-T-C-H, at vinoandconvo.com. <laughs> yes. You can also contact us at Twitter uh, or Instagram or TikTok on all three of those social media platforms. Our handle is at vinoconvo, no and, V-I-N-O-C-O-N-V-O. Okay, so please reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Also, if you know of a winery or brewery in the DMV you'd like us to highlight on the show, please let us know. Please email us and let us know. We'd love to have your wine on the show. We'd love to have your beer on the show. We want to do that. I just love to have your wine. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and of course, you know, listen, if you're listening to us from another part of the country or around the world, if you want to send us a bottle, we'll gladly accept it and we will highlight it on the show. Just email and tweet us and we will figure out a way to get that done we'll do we'll make sure that happens yeah also we plan to go through all 60 episodes of the wire in order however six oh baby that's right six oh if you'd like us to use an episode to focus on a particular topic in the news or even a groundbreaking movie that is out or something that you want us to like also talk about email us let us know that we're going to be happy to do that too just let us know and finally this is the also very important thing if you know somebody or if you would like to join this discussion on this show, we'd like you to be on the show. All we need you to do is to email us and, or contact us on social media. All this information is going to be on the show notes and we'll work it out. Because we'd like to talk to, especially if you're from Baltimore. Yes. <laughs> and if you like wine. If you like wine and, you, and you're from Baltimore and you're a Wire fan, you, you are uh, for sure going to be on the show. Okay, so we'll work it out. We want to thank you guys for listening. Anything you want to say? I love wine. <laughs> this is a good wine. It's a good way to start. I love wine. And uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll be seeing you next week. We're going to talk about episode one of The Wire called The Target. Until then. This has been another episode of Vino and Convo with Fletch and Couch. Smoke them if you got them. We should have talked more in the introduction about the corner. You, you, I got to go back tonight and watch the corner because look, it's the too depressing. Corner, I don't want to talk about it. Look, look, I know it's depressing, but when I watched the corner, what they did with uh, what they did with the wire, they took Homegirl that we just talked about, Kenny Alexander's character, and they and they showed different aspects like Buck. Look at Buck. Yeah, but look, look, she was tore down more than Bubs. Bubs, Bubs is toe down, he toe up from the flow up, and Candy Alexander looked worse than he looks. So, no. He's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they did yeah, with the corner though, they didn't really go into more they just kept showing how depressing. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. But anyway. yeah, hold up. Alright. Yeah. Alright, okay. Alright. So that's it. We'll see you all next time. All right. Bye bye. Woo! Alright.